This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We do pray for our needy world. Lord, we pray especially for Israel and the situation there with Hamas and Gaza. And Lord, we pray for uh, those who need to escape to be able to get out and those who are there who have committed these atrocities to repent, to turn around, to uh, realize that Jesus is the Messiah. We pray, Father, for the peace of Jerusalem. We also want to say thank you for all your blessings to us. We are very um, mindful of the fact that uh, you are our shepherd and we have everything we need because of you. You love us, you protect us, you guide us, you uphold us, you forgive us, and you restore us. Thank you for all you do in our lives. And we pray as you taught us to pray, Jesus saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Why Faith Alone is Not Enough, from James 2, 14 to 26. Did you know the history behind Martin Luther calling the book of James an epistle of straw? In other words, Martin Luther did not have high esteem for this letter because it seemed to be in contradiction to what the Apostle Paul taught with regards to salvation by faith alone. It talks about faith and works. Now, you need to appreciate where Martin Luther came from as to why he said what he said. First of all, he was a monk. And he was fastidious and conscientious with regards to being as compliant and obedient as possible to the teachings of the church. But there was a playboy, Pope, that bought his way into his position. And there was the selling of indulgences. Indulgences would be a supposed bone of Peter or something of that kind. And if you bought that bone, it would guarantee that your loved one who died would be set free from purgatory, a place of waiting before going to heaven. As you could tell, there was a lot of false teaching during that time that Martin Luther lived. When he studied the book of Galatians and the book of Romans, 
that was so rich about salvation by faith alone, he trusted in Christ and stood against the church and became a protester or a Protestant. So when he's reading the book of James and it seems to contradict Paul, he says, ah, it's a straw of an epistle. Now we should learn something very important from Martin Luther's wrong estimation of the book of James. We should learn that we should not read into a letter of the Bible our presupposition or bias just because it doesn't match what we think should be the emphasis. Secondly, we should study what the terms really mean so we understand what James is talking about that is different than what Paul was talking about. So you and I are about to uncover why James is not a straw of an epistle, but why James is a rock, a solid rock of an epistle. First of all, we turn to these three reasons why faith alone is not enough. A fruitless faith is a futile faith. A fruitless faith is not legitimate and faith expressed by works proves salvation. This is what James is driving home, and we'll appreciate it when we look at how he does this through the scriptures. So a fruitless faith is a futile faith. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, here's the point of interpretation where people got tripped up. They thought that verse said, can faith save them? But the original Greek is saying, can that kind of faith save them? So the answer is yes, we are saved by faith, and we are saved by faith alone. But this kind of faith that James is pointing out, faith that has no deeds, no expression of showing a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, can such a faith deliver them? And the answer, of course, in this rhetorical question is no. Such a faith is futile. James 2, 15-17 is a case study of the barren blessing. A case study of the barren blessing. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So if you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, maybe you don't have an authentic, genuine faith to begin with, because Christ in you wells up with compassion for the lost and the least and the last. Christ in you wants you to act on your intention with demonstration of your faith. 
faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by proof of that faith, is a futile faith. It's dead. And a fruitless faith is not legitimate, James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So yes, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It is accompanied by the fruit of faith, by acting on that faith, by desiring to grow in ever-increasing holiness and reflecting the character and conduct of Christ. That's evidence of a genuine, authentic faith. James 2, 18 and 19 adds in verse 19, You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So anyone who's trying to justify that they are a true follower of Christ and that they have faith, but they do not have the works commensurate with that faith, are no better than a demon. Actually, they're worse than a demon because even a demon believes that God exists and he shudders at God being holy and God being the judge. And a person who has faith but not works doesn't even care or acknowledge the greatness and the accountability that God has. So here we have a chart about James and Paul to better understand where they were coming from to see that it's not a contradiction, but it's a compliment. James is stressing the work of the believer in relation to faith. You have faith, and that faith works itself out in works, in good deeds, in spirit-motivated actions. Paul was stressing the work of Christ in relation to faith. No one can add to the finished work of Christ in order to be saved. You can't save yourself by your good works or by your uh, spiritual credentials if you have a a priest or a nun in your family or a missionary or pastor in your family, that does not save you. You're saved by faith and by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, him shedding his blood for your salvation, period. James is concerned with the outcome of faith, that there be fruit so that no one be able to confuse creeds with Christianity. You could say what you believe with your lips, but you show what you really believe by your life. Paul is concerned with the object of faith, that it be Christ, unmixed with self-reliance or self-righteousness. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps You must throw yourself upon the mercy of God by trusting in Christ by faith. Unless a person recognizes that they are spiritually bankrupt, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus and Jesus alone is the object of our faith who saves us. And then James, this is very interesting, wrote his letter shortly after the resurrection. Did you know that the book of James is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament. It was written like in 44 to 46. Jesus died 
in 33. So that's shortly after the resurrection and compared to the other books that were written in the 60s or, or later. This is an early book when the church was primarily comprised of Jewish Christians. Those who were of the Jewish faith, who knew the Bible, the Old Testament very well, and that Jewish Hebrew church needed a message as what James wrote. But when Paul wrote his letters of Galatians and Romans later, there was a much bigger issue. All the influx of Gentiles and how are Gentiles included in the body of Christ? It's by faith alone. No requirements to become Jewish first or to obey the law before becoming a Christian. By faith alone. You see the need for this clarification by Paul who wrote later because he was addressing the issue of Gentiles being grafted into the church. I like to think about it this way. Paul is the obstetrician, and he explains what happens at birth. And James is the pediatrician who explains what happens after birth. So Paul is talking about saving faith, the only way to enter into a relationship with God. And James is talking about lifestyle faith, the only way to continue to live the Christian life. And Paul is talking about the past tense of salvation. You are saved by faith alone. You enter into a personal relationship with God by trusting in Jesus Christ, not by relying on your own merits, but relying on his grace, you are saved. James is focusing in on the present tense of salvation, being saved, the continual outworking of the meaning of Christ's presence in the believer's life. In other words, he's talking about how as you continue to obey and show Christ to others, you're being set free and you're increasing in reflecting the character and conduct of Christ. And the third aspect of salvation is that not only have we, are we saved and are we being saved, but one day when we are in heaven, we will be fully saved. So between now, present salvation, and being fully saved, we're in the process of being sanctified, that is, growing in Christlikeness. Can you see that James and Paul had two different emphases, and that's why they said what they said. But for those who really want to make a big deal out of the difference between Paul and James, let me go to Paul's strongest statement about salvation by faith alone, um, because Paul in Romans 4, 1-5, and Galatians 3, is explaining how the sinner is justified, that is given a right standing before God, He's talking about faith without works. You can't earn your salvation. It's by grace. But James, on the other hand, in James 2, 14 to 26, is writing about how the saved person 
proves that salvation before others. They have a faith that works. So Paul, faith without works is the way to be saved. James, faith that works shows that you've been saved. So let's go now to the Mount Everest verse. J uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. A sinner is saved by faith without works. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then immediately after that, we have that true saving faith leads to works. And this is Paul speaking. For we are God's handmade work, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see that? James himself is teaching that you have to trust in the Lord for salvation, and you can't bring anything to the table to contribute to your own salvation. It's all the finished work of Christ. But once you become a believer, you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the good works God prepared in advance for you to do. So you have a faith, you're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It is accompanied by good deeds, Holy Spirit prompted deeds. So faith expressed by works proves your salvation. James gives two case studies that are positive. One is Abraham and the other is Rahab. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless, whereas some older manuscripts say dead? So he gives the example. Verse 21 of James 2, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. If I was going to pick one key verse for this whole discussion, it would be verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The Lord came to Abram and said, I'm going to give you a son. And when he said, I'm going to give you a son, and through this son you're going to have more uh, descendants than there are particles of sand on a beach or stars in the sky, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. That's the moment he believed and was saved. However, how many years was it between the promise to God and the actual miraculous birth to two very old people, 199, of Isaac? It was 25 years. And when he was finally around 12 or 14 years of age, God said, now I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to 
offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham, out of faith that he already had, said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find out that Abraham had such faith in God, he believed that even if he offered his son Isaac as a, a sacrifice, God had the power to raise his son back up to life. What faith, what salvation was on display because Abraham acted upon his faith. His faith was demonstrated by his obedience. Again, it says in verses 23 to 24, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You have to understand the context to correctly understand verse 24. Because if you don't, you take verse 24 randomly and you separate it out from the context, you think, well, of course this contradicts what Paul is saying. Because it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Here's the uh, answer to that. A person is justified or considered righteous, the word is vindicated. So in other words, Scripture's announcement that Abraham was righteous is vindicated on the basis of Abraham's subsequent obedience. So there's two meanings to the word justified. One is to be considered innocent, and the other is to be vindicated. And in this case, it's the word vindicated. Abraham's faith, that it was genuine, that it was authentic, that it was tested and that it was true, is the very fact that he was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice out of obedience to God, and it showed his faith was valid. Not that he had to do a work in order to be saved. The work came out of his salvation. So then we have the example of Rahab the harlot. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Now, it almost looks there like, wait a second, Rahab the harlot by hiding the spies who came to check out Jericho, and then by sending him off in a different direction, she got saved because she did that? No. If you know the biblical story, when the spies came to her, she said, in essence, I already believe. I heard the report of what your God has done. I've trusted in him. And how can I live out this faith? I'm going to identify with Israel, even though it may cost me my life to hide the spies. So the faith was vindicated that she already had by her action. 
Thus, James says in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What would have happened if Rahab had not hidden the spies? Then Jericho would not have fallen, and then the people would not have taken the promised land. God was faithful. God was moving in her heart. God had saved her, and he showed that her salvation was real because of what she did. So faith alone is not enough. Means that we must have faith and works. Yesterday, I went with my son and his wife and my grandkids to the the air show that was here in Chico, over at the airport and the Chico Air Museum. And I was holding three-year-old Kaizen on by my arm here, carrying him down, and we're looking at helicopters, and we're looking at, at airplanes, and we're seeing all these flying machines of different kinds. And it reminded me of my sermon today, that an airplane has two wings. It can't fly with just one wing. We need faith in Jesus that we cannot work for or earn, and we need works or good deeds that come out of that faith. You need both wings to be a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that our faith may be evidenced by our Holy Spirit-inspired deeds. That when we have come to Christ, we entrusted our lives to you, life to you completely by faith. And we know we've been saved by grace, not by works. But Lord, we have been transformed. We're now your handiwork, your masterpiece in process. And you are doing good deeds to our lives. Whether it's... Um, sharing Christ with someone, or just listening or hugging somebody, whether it's uh, giving to the poor, or whether it's uh, coming to church and worshiping you and growing and knowing you through your word in Bible study. We thank you that fruit is being seen in our lives. And we pray, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.